With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning. I'm your host, Eric Allen. This is After 9. <clears throat> My guest today will be Alec Huber for the first half hour. Alec's family's been around Prince George for a long time, and uh, he's been involved in a number of things. So we're, we're going to start, uh, I think... Maybe I'll just get Alec to give us a history of when his family moved here, where they moved from, and uh, and how they got into, I guess you started in the farm business, but I'll let Alec uh, take it from there. Morning, Eric. Yeah, I, uh, I first came to Prince George in 1993. Uh, we immigrated uh, to Canada uh, from Germany when I was 12 years old, and kind of been stuck in Prince George. I don't want to say stuck. It's it's something in the water. It doesn't allow you to leave Prince George. Been in Prince George ever since, so yeah. I thought I heard you say at one point that uh, your family originally settled in or came to Kelowna. Is that correct? No, my parents retired to the Okanagan oh, okay. uh, near Falkland, uh, between Falkland and Vernon, and I had it, came up here to Prince George as a as a young man, and uh, started milking cows down yeah. Blackwater Road for what used to be uh, um, Henry Allen Hope, the the founder of Hope Heinrich, the law firm. Oh yes, and he was partners with Harold Giesbrecht, uh, mm-hmm. dairy farm down Blackwater Road, and that's when I started milking cows in in 1993. Hmm. Yeah, Falkland area. I've been through there a few times. It's kind of nice country there. I it's like it's it. not as dry. It's not as arid as as say Kamloops or Vernon or Kelowna yeah. uh, Armstrong, Vernon, uh, Falkland around there is, is nice and lush and it's yeah. nice nice farming country. It certainly is yep. that uh, okay so what's the connection if any with Huber Farm Equipment? Absolutely none nothing? Just the same last name there's quite a few of us Hubers in southern Germany and I understand that uh, the the founder from of Huber Farm Equipment came from the same area oh, yeah. in Bavaria where we came from but uh, there's no I'm not that lucky, no. No, I was no. going to say, that's why I wanted to get to know you. I thought you were a multimillionaire. Yeah, no, 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 just working stiff. <laughs> <laughs> not to say that uh, that the other people are, any business we're in right now is, uh, you got to work to make a dollar. Yep. So, we're going to get into, uh, I think we'll go into the uh, BC Northern Exhibition first. You were involved with that uh, Four years as a president and one year a director, one year as a treasurer, and that was... Uh, Correct. And when was that? Uh, I believe I started in 2012. 2012? Yes. So, just give us the history of the uh, Prince George Exhibition and when they changed it to BC Northern Exhibition and, you know, what you were looking at when you were... Involved with it. I mean, that, that exhibition has been around since 1912. And uh, correct, so the same year the Titanic sank. That's what is, they say. Is when the, 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 the our fair started. Um, it's actually older than the city of Prince George. Um, it was a way for farmers to get together back in the day and uh, sh- you know share ideas and and harvesting and cropping and and it it grew into a a, a regional fair, um, a, a local fair until. Uh, we were approached by uh, BC Fairs um, to recommend 
our name change, which happened in 2013 to make it the British Columbia Northern Exhibition, uh, so it would become a regional fair, uh, same as the the the, the P and E in Vancouver or the the one in Armstrong is not called the Armstrong Fair; it's called the the interprovincial exhibition. Um, it's it's to include everybody, not just Prince George. So it, it, we became a regional fair. Um, we we had challenges in the beginning, um, as every other fair uh, I think in the province had uh, with volunteers, with with uh, financing, with money, with. Uh, um, just struggling, trying to find people, and, and, and we weren't—we're uh, not alone. I mean, the Rotary's in the same boat, the Lions are in the same boat. It's hard to to find a, a good, solid volunteer base. But I was lucky at that time. Um, the 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 board of directors that I had uh, all had the best interest at heart for the fair. We worked really hard as a team, and. We made some decisions that were not popular at the time. We, we um, based on finances, we had no choice. We had to buckle the belt and 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 get out of debt, so that the fair can survive and grow and become something that it is today. Um, I think they've the board that has it now is doing a phenomenal job. They're adding events and 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 yet still. Holding the you know the the four H component is is still alive and well, or the pies, or the quilting, or all those things are important are important parts of the fair. Uh, but uh, what the part we were struggling with is 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 funding is uh, to find things to pay the bills, and attendance was dropping because the attendance fees were going up every year. Uh, there was an ever-loving parking f- fee for uh, to to allow the parking, which people didn't know it was being donated to the groups that were running the park, uh, the parking lot for the fair. It wasn't it wasn't a source of revenue for us, but um, that's the first thing we eliminated was the paid parking, and we dropped the uh, five dollars. It was fifteen dollars to get into the fair. We dropped that down by five bucks down to 10 bucks and and people came and said yeah let's 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 have a look see what what they're doing and so it's been it was challenging really challenging at the beginning but uh, now um, they're flush so they're on on good ground they got a good uh, uh, board of directors now I think the fair is in in good hands and has a bright future in the, in the city of Prince George well that's good that's uh I know I've been going on and off ever since I can remember. It was just a thing that you did. You know, you went to the fall fair and just looked around and, and bought a cow for the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have to wonder about that 4-H, people looking after their animals up until the point that they take them there and sell them. But yep. they get pretty attached to it, I'm sure. It, and, uh, it's part of the 4-H thing, though, to learn about life and death, right? Yeah. It's not always just pets and cuddly. Yeah. There's a, it, they're part of the food chain, so yeah. uh, it's part of the 4-H, uh, uh, what the kids learn. So this year again, it's in August, I guess. it's uh, Yes. Uh, anything different that you're aware of this year or over? Um, uh, just, uh, yes, more of the same. Uh, I think they're adding a couple events. The rodeo grounds are being revamped. Uh, we have, they, they have bleachers now. They, um, 
that they've added. Uh, there was a rodeo this weekend that was sponsored. Oh, that's what I heard. I, I heard there was a rodeo and yep. I kind of shook my head. That's been it, a while uh, since we had a rodeo. That was a hard sell in the past, uh, a rodeo in Prince George. But from what I hear, it was well attended. It was well done. It was a, a semi-professional rodeo. So, um, Good for them, and the BCE is uh, is is involved in in more than one thing throughout the year now. Where it was just always just the one thing. Now there's you know to justify the cost of a manager year round, uh, you have to have year round events, not yeah, just for sure. four days yeah. a year, yeah. to to help pay the bills. So they they've done a lot of things to uh, make things nicer, make it better, and uh, the rides keep getting better. I mean, the rides are obviously the the popular thing with with uh, kids and 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 so forth, but everybody's been cooped up for so long. They they're fairly eager uh, to get back on that horse. Yeah, I think this year will be a good year for a lot of uh, a lot of uh, different businesses and events associations and, yep. and events. Yep. I know the last couple of years for the golf industry because people couldn't go anywhere, but they could go golfing. Because yes. they had some really good years. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they may be dropping off a bit now. But you never know. Yep. People no COVID on, on the golf course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to just touch on, you mentioned you were into the farming a little bit down in the Blackwater now. Does that strike you as a bit of a coincidence that the... the uh, um, get it going here Eric that the uh, you were down there working at around the same time that uh, the farm equipment business was there Hubers you're talking yeah uh, it was it was already called Hubers when I got to town so yeah um, I don't know just lucky I guess I, I keep trying to use it to my advantage but it hasn't worked at all no but I mean you were working you were working you weren't working for them down there were no. you no no, nope. you were working in a farm. Yes, your name was the same as the, of the established business. There. Just, That's just a coincidence. Quite a coincidence. Uh, the, the funny thing is, whenever I go into Huber Farm Equipment and have to order parts for our equipment, uh, and uh, say there's a new parts guy or whatever, and, and he says, "Who is it for?" and I say, "It's for Alex Huber." Do you want me to spell Huber? <laughs> <laughs> So it's always funny. He says, "No, no, no, no! I got that." Yeah, no, I, I was just going to say because when I a while back when I was trying to track you down, I phoned Huber Farm Equipment. Yep. And, and I asked for Alex. There was a bit of a silence, and I hear the guy talking to somebody. Who says Alex? Do we have an Alex working here? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking there's something wrong with this picture. Yep. No, but, just uh, straight up coincidence that we got the same last name. Oh, that's good. Yep. <clears throat> okay, so. We'll swing away from that now, and uh, now I just want to kind of get your history. I don't really think we want to get into politics too much, but uh, just your history of politics of Prince George, because I know you've ran for a mayor one occasion and a councillor one occasion now. Yes. The mayor was the first in 2011? Yes. You want to just touch on that? Um, at that time, it was a, a toss-up between Dan Rogers and... Who else was there? Eugene Featherly and well, then Sherry Green came into the game later. But uh, I, uh, I said to myself, I, I, I gotta let my name stand. This, this can't be it. This, this yeah. can't be it. So, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, no, I, 
there was uh, at, by the time it, it came around to the debates, there were six of us that were running for mayor. It, it uh, uh, there was more candidates that were throwing their their name and uh, their hat in the ring. But um, I, I don't know. I got to say what I wanted to say, and uh, the things that some of the things that I don't agree with, uh, whether that is. The downtown, which I remember having a, a, a debate at the fire pit uh, with the with the radio station um, that was in 2011, and the same questions, the exact same questions that we are asking today, uh, ten years later, nothing's really changed. It's still the exact same thing ten yeah. years later. Yeah. Um, it's it's you know every four years we do our our, our thing uh, with the elections and promises and and this is what I'm going to do and this is but nothing has really changed. It, it's sort of downtown. If anything has gotten worse in some areas, I, I think some areas have gotten nicer. Like around the keg and city hall, that looks like a nice. Um, area there now, but some of the other areas have uh, deteriorated somewhat. So, um, no, the, the only reason I was running is because of, uh, I thought, was lack of options. So, um, did I think I had a chance of winning? Probably not, but I didn't care. I, yeah. I had to, I wanted to say the things I wanted to say and and throw my hat in the ring. See, see where it goes. Yeah, I think that's important sometimes for people. <clears throat> what the uh, running does, it gives you a platform to express how you feel about certain issues and, yep. and get it out there, which is kind of difficult otherwise. I mean, even going to city council to a meeting and, you know, if you get your 10 minutes in the sun or something, it doesn't really give you a chance to say what you want to say. So no. I'm kind of always in favor of people having some place where they can go to express themselves. I don't think we do it enough. No. And always, you know, think back to the old Hyde Park soapboxing in in Britain. Or you go down to the park, stand on a soapbox and yep. rant and rave all you wanted to about what was going on in London. Yep. And uh, people stand around and listen. Yeah. Of course, they didn't have radio and TV in those days. But, <clears throat> but in any event, uh, I don't think that people get a good... Uh, there's a good... Uh, way that they can express what it, they want. Now we don't even really, you know, with a one once a week paper newspaper and five or six different options on uh, on uh, social media, the computer. Yeah. I mean, like people can you could say something on a computer this morning, and I might never see it. Yeah. And, a, and a lot of it has become white noise. Like if if you read some of the comments or if you read some of the some of the things, it's just people venting. That isn't. Um, that isn't how democracy should works. Is is to to you know do your laundry in public and then not follow up with anything. Uh, if you if you want to change things, uh, you have no choice but to run for office. If you don't like how how it's being run, you have to partake in it and try to make it better than it was. Other than that, yeah, it's just you're just venting, and it's. Uh, um, Either, either you're a part of it or you're just along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah, so there's, uh, there's interesting aspects of that, which we probably won't get into it now, right now. But So then uh, after your run for the mayor, then uh, 2014 you decided to run for councillor? Yes. Basically for the same reasons, I guess, but to the, get some the, experience the same on council. And, and uh, some people, uh, some mentors of mine, people that I listened to said, well, you know, you got to do your you got to do your stint first at council. You can't ask for the, the chair 
uh, to begin with. You gotta, and my thinking was the exact opposite. What we need is a bull in a china shop. We need that guy. Like, um, it happened in Vernon. I mean, the guy has done some wrong things since then, but the young mayor, he wasn't in council before and he did some pretty good things for Vernon. Sometimes you have to think outside the box a little bit and not always, um, just because somebody was on council doesn't guarantee success. No. And I think have not having been uh, toned down or whatever that is, uh, that you're still full of ideas and you want to help and you want to implement. And, and uh, I, I think that was the what, what I was trying to do. Is some, Maybe that's exactly what we need is a bull in a china shop to say that's enough. Um, look at cost overruns now with everything whether it's the, the, the pool or uh, everything is the parkade um, when I've built a couple things over the last 10 years I uh, rental property what have you but um, when I build something I get an estimate and what is the point of getting the estimate if if the contractor can later ask for more money he has a contingency built in for some things to go wrong I, I understand not it doesn't always go as planned but what's what's the what's the point of that? If uh, if uh, what is the point of that? If if you're not going to stick to it, right? Why get an estimate? Is anyway, um, yeah. And then uh, in 2014, I I, I ran for uh, uh, council, and I think I just I did well, but uh, I just had way too much stuff on my plate at that time. I had a three year old baby girl and uh, my handicapped brother. Uh, lives with me in the house, so uh, at that time, I, I don't think I gave it what it should have, what it deserved to yeah. win. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that was in 2014. Well, you know the old saying: "We take it a break here." Pretty quick, yeah. You ready now? Yes, you're ready. Okay, we're going to take a break now, and then we'll get rolling again. Give your morning a boost with some sounds from above with Songs in the Chapel Sunday mornings at 9 on 93.1 CFIS FM. Join me, Corey Walker, as I fill the airwaves with the sounds of heavenly gospel music. I feature a mixture of traditional country, bluegrass, southern, and black gospel, and even a little bit of worship and contemporary Christian music. An inspiring message from the Salvation Army's Heartbeat series is featured in every show. At Songs in the Chapel Sunday morning at 9, only here on 93.1 CFIS FM. Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats, founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982. Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Seniors Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available in most items, including pierogies and sausages, and there are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies. Everything from Erladen to Patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Centre. Tops and Bottoms continues to provide the women of Prince George with great support. Make an appointment today and take advantage of their unsurpassed one-on-one fitting service. Tops and Bottoms will make sure that your bra is comfortable and fits you well. Need a new bra? No problem. Make an appointment online at topsandbottoms.ca or call 250 614-1553. Tops and Bottoms, great support for the women of Prince George. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today with a 30% chance of showers late this morning and early afternoon. Wind from the southwest at 20 this afternoon and a high of 20. Partly cloudy tonight with a 30% chance of showers. West winds becoming light this evening, a low of 10. For Tuesday, increasing cloudiness, a few showers in the afternoon with wind becoming southwest at 20, high of 16. 
It's after nine on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS FM. Okay, we're back with Alex Huber, and we touched on uh, the politics he was involved in in the BC uh, Northern Exhibition. Just going to uh, finish it off with a, just a quick overview. You're in the trucking industry, I think, now. You get, with the high on bedding, is it? No, uh, manufacturing. We we uh, 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 process shavings for animal bedding. We basically bale shavings and export them. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Can you maybe just give us a, a sense of what that's all about and how you go about it? Um, I I uh, I'm allowed a certain percentage of shavings from carrier lumber from their planer. And it goes through a screener, takes out the dust and the fine particles, and then it goes into a bagging machine. We make three cubic foot bags. They go on a pallet, and they go on a truck, and off they go. And they go down uh, stateside? Most, uh, I'd say 70% is Texas and California is uh, export. So It's kind of interesting, because I, <clears throat> I think I mentioned it to you a number of years ago. People were sending uh, pellets down there to uh, Tennessee and uh, Mississippi and that where all yep. the high grade horses are. Yep. But they use that in the uh, in the barns, eh? In the stalls, and, yeah. And apparently these pellets are a better absorbent than the uh, shavings. The shavings. Yeah, they expand. Yeah. Yeah. A lot and, of them put the pellets underneath and then shavings on top. Yeah. So that was a big business. I was uh, involved. Well, I just knew an outfit in Vancouver. They did the transferring. That the loads went down from here, then they transferred them into. Uh, other trucks and then they went down there and it was going out around the Houston area it was coming from. It's it's funny because when I first came to Prince George in '93, I still remember the the beehive burners glowing at night when I put, would pass them by. They used to burn all this, this yeah. the bark and the shavings. Yeah. Uh, and now uh, a whole new market has evolved out of the, you know, the the, the basically the waste. So it's it's, yeah. it's good stuff. Yep. Okay, Alec, I appreciate your coming in, and I know you got another appointment. you got to get on the road here. Pardon me? Are you ready to go? Oh. I appreciate you having me, Eric. And that was good. We'll do it again someday when we got more time. Yes, for sure. Then we'll really dial into the into the subject matter. Okay, thanks for coming. <laughs> thanks so much. Yeah. We're not going to a break, just get going with Herb or something. Okay, Herb. So we're going to bring on Herb now. He's in the office here, and... Uh, and uh, what are you going to start off with, Herb? Uh, well, the Bitcoin meltdown. Okay, he's going to talk about what he calls the Bitcoin meltdown. I'm not a, well, I'm pretty long ways away from being an expert on Bitcoin, but Herb does know something about it. So maybe for others like me, maybe we can get some information here that will help us understand. Go ahead, Herb. Yeah, so there was, uh, I think most people are aware of the phenomenon of Bitcoin. It's just one of the many cryptocurrencies. I think there's over actually 10,000 different ones, but Bitcoin's the main player. And at one point, it actually was worth, uh, I believe, over $2 trillion. Uh, but its um, uh, its value has been uh, uh, dropped dramatically in the last three months, actually, uh, since uh, Pierre Polyev came out and started um, uh, promoting it. Um, it went uh, at the end of March. That's when uh, Polyev started talking about it. Uh, it went from a value of over $47,000 U.S. down to below, around $20,000 today. So, you know, it has uh, implications uh, on a number of fronts. Uh, uh, obviously, for Pierre Polyev, he doesn't look very good at the moment. Um, well, I, just before we get any further, I don't. I wouldn't think that Pierre Polyev... 
no matter what he said or any other person running for the leadership would have any bearing on Bitcoin at all. I think Bitcoin would be, you know, hundreds of miles away from where these guys are. They're all running around trying to get elected. Uh, I wouldn't put any more substance in what Pierre Polyev said before he ran for uh, uh, leadership of the Conservative Party or afterwards. I don't think he's an expert on Bitcoin. But anyway, no, carry but, on. but what I guess what, uh, what reflects negatively on, I mean, every, anyone can make a, a poor investment. But uh, to um, to claim that uh, Bitcoin may, may is the future and that should be uh, a legal uh, currency of, of Canada, uh, and then also uh, attacking the uh, the Bank of Canada uh, 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 director outright, um, it's um, uh, it, it. I think it shows poor judgment, and uh, and I I don't think that uh, it's going to reflect well on his uh, on his leadership aspirations. But uh, that's yeah, that's a little bit of uh, uh, looking forward, perhaps. But but the overall uh, I, problem with Bitcoin is that um, uh, you know we're, we've we've sort of uh, accepted uh, by default that it's uh, that it's uh, uh, a reasonable use of uh, investment in this in this province. So BC Hydro, for instance, has. Uh, uh, given Bitcoin uh, farms uh, uh, low rate, uh, industrial rate of about five cents a kilowatt hour, whereas residential users pay about twelve cents. So, is it is it a good use of our uh, electricity to encourage this kind of uh, development? And that's that's something that really hasn't been asked too much. Uh, you know, the overall uh, Bitcoin. Uh, uses more energy across uh, worldwide than Argentina uses in a year. Uh, Argentina is a country of 45 million people. Uh, is that something that, in a in a time of climate change, uh, that we should be uh, encouraging? Uh, China's actually had the uh, the courage to actually just shut down all Bitcoin farming. Uh, absolutely. Uh, maybe we should start thinking about that seriously too. Even though, I mean, there's there's been some uh, Bitcoin farms established in Prince George. They're building one right now. Um, there's, uh, uh, I know Brian Fair has built a Bitcoin farm down in Canal Flats from an old um, Canfor sawmill. And I think he has plans as well to put one into Mackenzie. So, whether these things uh, continue or uh, uh, or fail based on the on the low prices that are are now being realized for Bitcoin. I mean, it costs, uh, even at uh, subsidized uh, hydro rates, the uh, average Bitcoin costs about $34,000 U.S. to produce. Uh, obviously, at $20,000, uh, they're not making their money back. So uh, these things might might fail on their own accord pretty soon. But, um, uh, yeah, that's, that's something we um, uh, will have to, uh, we'll have to see. We're going to take a break here. Okay, we're going to take a little break right now, and uh, Peter will be with us when we get back.
Your membership to the Prince George Chamber of Commerce has benefits. Save on products like insurance, hotels, corporate gym memberships, fuel, payroll, and online marketing. If you're interested in offering a member-to-member benefit or curious about how the Chamber can help you market your business, contact your Prince George Chamber of Commerce today. More details as well as links to local, B.C., and Canadian Chamber deals are available through the Member Benefits link under Members at pgchamber.bc.ca. The regional district of Fraser Ford George is planting the seeds to build its first regional agriculture strategy. The strategy will focus on supporting agriculture and farming in the region and identify action-oriented goals, practical solutions, and actions to address existing and potential issues and opportunities. Further information about the project can be found at rdffg.bc.ca. The development of the plan is funded in part by Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada and the Government of BC through programs delivered by Investment Agriculture Foundation of BC. Creative BC has launched three programs funding Indigenous and underrepresented artists and organizations. The demo recording, music video, and industry catalyst programs. Previously for artists and industry living and working in Vancouver, these programs have been extended across the entire province of BC. Apply by June 23rd. For more information, be sure to check out creativebc.com. Financial reports are much more than compliance. They are critical for making strategic decisions about your nonprofit organization and its programs. Vantage Point's three-hour virtual sessions, Strategic Financial Governance, explores frameworks, tools, and indicators to assess performance, consider alternatives, and make good governance decisions. Registration costs and full details are available through the calendar link under training at vantagepoint.ca. Vantage Point's Strategic Financial Governance, Thursday, July 7th from 9.30 to noon through the vantagepoint.ca Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM Okay, we're back I'm still going to stick with Herb here for another minute Actually, he'll be with us for the next half hour along with uh, Peter Ewart But I want Herb to just uh, give a sense of when you're talking about Bitcoin and you're talking about Bitcoin farms or Bitcoin mines or whatever, just exactly what we're talking about. We're not talking about farms or mines. We're talking about some sort of, in my mind, convoluted idea of how this thing works. So, Herb, just explain to us what exactly is Bitcoin mining and to what extent are computers used, because that's where all the power, as I understand it, is used is running computers. Do you want to just do a takeaway on that? Sure. Uh, you can Actually, you can sort of compare it to... Uh a modern uh, chicken farm, if you want, uh, or an egg egg, egg producer. So uh, imagine uh, rows instead of rows and rows of chickens laying uh, laying eggs, you got uh, banks and banks of computers uh, churning out uh, co- computations <clears throat> to solve a, a basic uh, a basic problem that they're assigned. And uh, when they succeed, uh, they produce an egg or or bitcoin, and uh, the bitcoin. Uh, is uh, has a market uh, uh, for uh, uh, for them. So you know each each Bitcoin has has a value, which is pretty much determined by uh, uh, public acceptance of of uh, of its value. So uh, there there is it's just all all it's all that you get is uh, is code. It's there's nothing. 
uh, instead of an egg that you can eat, you've got um, you've got an, uh, a simple algorithm that has been solved, and you have some code indicating that it has been solved, and out of that you derive a Bitcoin. But it's all in the ether. Uh, there's nothing tangible, really. So, uh, yeah, these the the value uh, fluctuates uh, incredibly. Uh, you know, it's not unusual to see Bitcoin fluctuating 10% of value uh, each day. So it's hard to see it being used as a, a mode of uh, or a medium of transaction. Uh, it's uh, it's highly speculative, and um, yeah, as we as we've seen in in three months, it's lost over 50% of its value. So it's uh, I guess that's the simplest way to to, to think about it. And uh, yeah, is it something that uh, BC should be pursuing and or even allowing? Uh, you know, we've we've sort of accepted uh, by default that it's uh, it's a good thing that it can replace sawmills uh, that uh, use a lot of electricity uh, because it's uh, a new up and coming uh, uh, item. But um, uh, there's there's a good chance that the Bitcoin could go to zero, and uh, you know, putting all our eggs in one basket, so to speak, uh, may not be the uh, May, may not be a good way forward. Well, <clears throat> yeah, no, I would agree with that, but I would suggest that there, there's nowhere near anybody putting all their eggs in one basket with Bitcoin. It's, a, I would say, overall in uh, investments, Canada and North America is a very small player at this point. Anyway, <clears throat> one of the problems with it is, of course, it doesn't have the checks and balances you'd have on a stock market or a bank or that type of thing. So people are a little leery of. Uh, you know, getting into a situation where they don't have uh, sort of anything to look after the details. So anyway, that's uh, I just wanted to get it out there what Bitcoin actually is. And that's what the power is used for, is to generate computers. Computers generate heat. Heat is quite often siphoned off and used for something else. So there's different components to it. But uh, anyway, uh, we got you on there, Peter? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to make a comment uh I think this whole direction of going the Bitcoin, that direction is is, is wrong. Is not useful uh, in the long run. Uh, you know, like when I look at the when we look at the situation where we we have cheap electric power, we, we could be using that electric power to do all kinds of things, like pro, especially process our natural resources, whether it's uh, you know forestry. Um, uh, material, or uh, whether it's oil and gas, or whether it's minerals, uh, you know, we have this uh, cheap electricity to, to develop manufacturing and processing right here in Canada. We also have, uh, you know, this power, whether it's um, electric power or, or gas power or whatever, and all that, to produce our own food, right? You know, through gra- greenhouses and so on, using power for for those purposes for manufacturing of. Uh, of raw materials and production of food. Instead, uh, we have, you know, the, this Bitcoin stuff, which is highly speculative, and in some ways it's kind of parasitic on the economy. And I, I think that in terms of a direction for the economy, it's, it's not the right way to go. We have to look at the whole question of more processing of our own uh, goods right here in Canada, the building of our own supply chains national supply chains and and so on and that's that's a much better direction than this one well i've been thinking sort of along those lines on and off for quite a while now but 
the stumbling block that I come up with, and you can maybe just clarify this a bit, Peter. <clears throat> we use the natural gas or electricity or whatever uh, to produce uh, a product that we're probably going to export because Canada doesn't have enough people to, uh, you know, to have big, huge manufacturing food plants. But how does that fit in with all our trade agreements or something? I, I, I don't think we can take cheap power from BC Hydro and sell it to local uh, business people to produce a product that competes with other countries on the open market and not break some of our trade agreements. And uh, it's kind of like to get that clarified because the implication is, of course, that we can do anything we want, but I don't think we can. Well, I agree with you under the... Uh present structures and that's part of the problem is we get into these trade agreements you know which favor big multinational companies that impose their interests over the over the national interests of not, of not only Canada but other countries and so we have to be looking at a new model of globalization in my opinion you know because the existing one it, it, it very much uh, serves the interests of uh, Global oligarchs and uh, global corporations and all that, but but not uh, not the people. So the, that question of um, uh, the trade agreements and all this, yeah, that's something that uh, has to be uh, examined and looked at. And uh, but we have to we have to look at new ways of doing things because right now the current model of globalization is under uh, is becoming chaotic. Agreements are being broken. Uh, you have situations where. Uh, uh, sanctions are being thrown around all over the place, you know. So the existing model is breaking apart. So what, what could be a new model? And I think that's where we should put our minds into is what could be a new model, and and how and how, how can we go forward on that front? Okay, we're going to take a break now, Peter, and then we'll be right back. So. Amanika Arts Centre is hosting a summer art market on Saturday, June 25th. A host of local great artisans will be on hand, including Emily Wilson, Kithen Kiln Pottery, Lost in Lichen, Madeline Klepper, and Silky Hen Design. Follow Amanika Arts on Instagram and Facebook. Share the event with friends, then stop by to shop unique wares from local artists. The Summer Art Market, Saturday, June 25th from 9 to 3 at Amanika Arts Centre, 369 Victoria Street. Hereditary hemochromatosis affects 1 in 300 Canadians, yet most people have never heard of it. While it is easily treated, it can be fatal if left undetected. The Canadian Hemochromatosis Society needs your help to keep spreading awareness and saving lives. Find out how you can get involved in the Canadian Hemochromatosis Society fight for more awareness Email the office at toomuchiron.ca or visit their website, toomuchiron.ca, and become an annual member. Creative BC has launched three programs funding Indigenous and underrepresented artists and organizations. The demo recording, music video, and industry catalyst programs. Previously for artists and industry living and working in Vancouver, these programs have been extended across the entire province of BC. Apply by June 23rd. For more information, be sure to check out creativebc.com. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today with a 30% chance of showers late this morning and early afternoon. Wind from the southwest at 20 this afternoon and a high of 20. Partly cloudy tonight with a 30% chance of showers. West winds becoming light this evening, a low of 10. For Tuesday, increasing cloudiness, a few showers in the afternoon with wind becoming southwest at 20, high of 16. 
Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and uh, we're going to stay with Peter for a while. He wants to get into uh, this uh, Cullen report on money laundering, which is kind of interesting. You know, a lot of things going on there. So I'll just let you go ahead, uh, Peter. Okay, uh, Eric, thanks. Um, yeah, the commission has been established in the wake of uh, significant public concern about money laundering in B.C., and uh, the commissioner who was uh, appointed to lead this was uh, Supreme Court Justice Austin Cullen. And he just, last week, just released an 1,800-page report with a number of recommendations. Uh, this report, like they interviewed, uh, I think, almost 200 witnesses and uh, 1,000 exhibits and so on. And, the, you know, the overall conclusion of the report is uh, an enormous volume of illicit funds are laundered through the B.C. economy every year. And uh, the report says uh, money laundering has as its origin crime that destroys communities such as drug trafficking, human trafficking, and fraud, and that these crimes victimize the most vulnerable members of the society. And between 2008 and 2018, lower mainland casinos accepted hundreds of millions of dollars in cash. That was the proceeds of crime. And that these, uh, the report goes on, these transactions were an integral part of a money laundering typology known as the Vancouver model, in which wealthy casino patrons were provided vast sums of illicit cash by cash facilitators who are affiliated with transnational criminal organizations. You know, another conclusion that came out of the report was that the federal money la- anti-money laundering regime, uh, the federal government, um, that is not effective at all. And the report was a very scathing criticism of, of the federal government and federal government agencies like uh, FinTrack. You know, according to the report, there's a, a lack of will to take action and coordination. And uh, money laundering crime charges are, are very rare in the province. And as a result, money laundering has proliferated in casinos, money service businesses, and, and other methods. For example, the report talks about how one single money service company laundered $220 million in one year alone. But it's not just the federal government that's criticized. The RCMP is criticized for its lack of attention to money laundering and uh, how this has allowed uh, the unchecked growth of of money laundering for a number of years. Furthermore, at the provincial level, the B.C. Lottery Corporation, which is another regulatory and law enforcement agency, they were aware of the growing money laundering crisis but failed to intervene effectively. Elected officials, the liberal gov- provincial liberal government, including Premier Christy Clark, uh, according to the report, were aware of suspicious funds entering the provincial revenue stream gaming industry. But according to Cullen, they also failed to take steps that were sufficient to resolve the extensive money laundering in the industry. They did take some steps, but they didn't take sufficient steps. Uh, at the same time, Cullen concludes there was no evidence of any personal comp- corruption by any uh, elected official. Nonetheless, in my opinion, it's a very damning report. Money laundering has damaged the province and the, and the country's reputation. Uh, and in terms of recommendations, one of the main recommendations is the report calls for a provincial money laundering and investigation unit to be established, as well as an independent commissioner, you know, someone who's independent of the government itself, 
dedicated to over, oversee the unit. Now it's going to have its work cut out for it, you know, because this current model of globalization, which I was speaking about previously, dirty money moves all over the planet. Uh, but um, and furthermore, the, the Colin makes a whole number of uh, recommendations, but he also emphasizes there's a need for continued vigilance on this front. Well, I'm just thinking there, Peter. <clears throat> we know the federal government uh, had another arm there that was supposed to be looking after the situation. Of course, the BC Lottery Corporation has its own people looking after this situation. The provincial government, RCMP, had its own people looking after this situation. And so now, if I understand the report uh, properly, we're going to set up another unit to look after this situation. Uh, if the first four people that were put in place uh, to look after it failed, what makes us think that the fifth might be able to do something? Yeah, well, that, that, that is an issue. Like, one of the big things that comes out of the report there is the, is the lack of coordination that has existed between uh, RCMP, FinTrack, the BC Lottery Corporation, and other regulatory bodies. You know, like, the, so what they're saying now is that they need uh, this independent uh, a commissioner and an independent investigation unit uh, to be to have special powers, you know, but uh, not to be an, an arm of the government in that way, but uh, to be what they say is independent. But nonetheless, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, right? Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, pressure here. The money laundering comes through a whole number of angles, right? It's one of those. It comes through the real estate market. It comes through casinos and. Uh, money service businesses and so on so uh will this uh you know work on the one hand i would say you know since, since the peter german report that was uh, uh commissioned uh, a couple of years ago there have been some uh gaps that have been uh, uh stopped up right and there's been some improvement the report says and all this so it means that there are ways of, of doing this, right? You can clamp down on these things, but what it means is there's some toes, toes need to be constantly stepped on, you know, in terms of um, what's going on. Otherwise, you get into this uh, Wild West situation where the Vancouver model, what's called the Vancouver model, which is a disgrace, that, you know, to, to that city, right, uh, would be known throughout the world as a money laundering paradise. Okay, Peter, I think we're going to take a break here now, and then we'll come back and give uh, Herb a chance to comment on it. The Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity, and Recreation Council is hiring a senior manager for their food systems program. This manager will be responsible for leading and providing overall strategic and operational direction for the food system program. Full details are available through the website ispark.ca. That's the Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity, and Recreation Council, hiring a senior manager for their food systems program. Applications will be accepted until the position is filled. I'm Wilfred Leboutier, and I'm happy to invite you on June 24 to the fourth edition of Tout pour la musique, a francophone concert organized by the Dialogue Foundation. Je suis heureux de vous inviter à célébrer la Saint-Jean avec nous live on UniTV channel, regardless of your origins and your language. Let's celebrate francophone culture together across Canada. Ne manquez pas Tout pour la musique, the show will be broadcast on UniTV channel in the late evening of June 24. Visit 
tupourlamusique.ca for the broadcast schedule and lineup. Seven new short films celebrating Canadian performing arts greats are now streaming free at nfb.ca. Produced by the National Film Board of Canada, these films honor the laureates of the 2022 Governor General's Performing Arts Awards. This is a milestone year for the NFB, whose film collection now totals 105 short films, produced since a 2008 partnership with the Governor General's Performing Arts Awards Foundation. These innovative tributes can be enjoyed free of charge at nfb.ca. Prince George men now have their very own men's shed, open Saturdays from 9 to 2 at 2816 Norwood. All men are welcome to stop by for coffee, camaraderie, and carpentry. Learn more about men's sheds through the website mensheds.ca. For more information about the Prince George men's shed, call Craig at 250-565-7569. The Prince George men's shed, now open from 9 to noon, Saturdays at 2816 Norwood. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. We're going to go to Herb now and get his views on money laundering. And I think he has a connection there with Bitcoin. I don't know. So go ahead, Herb. Yeah, as Peter mentioned, uh, you know, casinos were only one way that uh, money was laundered uh, or is laundered uh, uh, through BC, in BC. Uh, uh, houses, uh, luxury cars, and of course, Bitcoin are uh, other other methods. Uh, it's it's um, kind of interesting that uh, this, this uh, commission, um, you know, really has has found no one no one guilty. Uh, but it may be not surprising because of the you know really the the huge extent that it, it uh, plays in uh, BC's economy. Uh, everyone kind of wants to look the other way and. Just accept the uh, the benefits of of, of money laundering. Uh, you know, it's basically created a, a tremendous uh, real estate boom in in Vancouver. That's benefited a good portion of BC, and uh, basically, no one wants to look the gift horse in the mouth. But um, you know, it's sort of unfair to uh, to uh, uh, go after the RCMP. The RCMP had an active investigation in 2010. Uh, Vince Coleman actually went to public and criticized it, saying that he, he didn't see how that uh, the RCMP could, uh, uh, you know, pursue this uh, line of line of investigation. And it should be remembered that uh, the RCMP is hired uh, and controlled by uh, the BC Attorney General. So uh, it would have been I would have been interested to see uh, really why that uh, RCMP investigation was stopped as it was in, I think, 2010 or 2011, and um, and maybe find someone uh, culpable. But um, as it is, it looks like uh, everyone gets off scot-free. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, Bitcoin is, is, uh, is another another method. Uh, obviously, it's it can be produced anywhere in the world. It can be there's transactions with with uh, Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency can happen anywhere in the world. Uh, you know, stopping it, uh, stopping its use in BC or stopping its production in BC wouldn't really have much effect overall on money laundering. Uh, but one thing that you know we we do have to start questioning is, you know, why are we providing uh, cheap uh, BC hydro rates of five five cents a kilowatt hour? Uh, to Bitcoin farms when resident, residential uh, uh, 
BC Hydro customers are paying twelve cents. Uh, this is uh, in a time when everyone's trying to reduce uh, the car- their carbon footprint. Uh, we could be probably doing better things with our electricity than subsidizing uh, a totally uh, uh, dubious form of uh, of currency. Yeah, it's hard to say. It's uh, I noticed they go into uh, areas that are had mill closures or something. Maybe it's some sort of an incentive to have some jobs created in those areas. I don't know. But uh, in any event, I do know that uh, when we originally had the uh, talk about legalized gambling in British Columbia, a uh, majority of the people were against it, but it was brought in otherwise. And some of this, what's going on today, the money laundering in that is uh, a direct result of uh, maybe going down the wrong path. Uh, did we really need to legalize gambling in BC? I mean, part of the argument was, well, you know, they're doing it in Las Vegas and uh, we could get that money. But people could go to Las Vegas and gamble and get a trip out of it. So I don't know. Uh, I'm not big on legalized gambling anyway, but I would suggest that if they ever looked at the cost of trying to police what's going on in the gambling industry, money laundering and everything else, you could probably make a case for just shut the whole thing down and do something else. You got a comment on that, Peter? Uh, yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying there, right? You know, because, uh, you know, this whole thing, like, like this whole gambling industry, it, you know, like uh, some say it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's another form of tax on the people, but it gives rise to all kinds of social ills, right? You know, like the money laundering is just one part of it, right? But then... Then you have also the the problem of gambling addiction and and you know where does the money come to pay for that and uh, uh, and, and so on, but it's also you know this whole um, money laundering area you know the, the the problem with it is it's part of the sh- the shadow financial system on a global scale where all kinds of dirty business takes place and uh, uh, it's unfortunate that BC is uh, and Canada have become involved in this right. But, um, you know, like uh, you get into that shadow banking area there and you're talking about, uh, you know, hedge funds, you're talking about drug cartels and, and so on, you know, uh, money going back and forth like that. And this is part of the problem in the, in the world today is we have all of this kind of stuff taking place, corruption on a massive scale. And once the corruption gets in, then, you know, it, it gets right into government, it gets right into uh, other other areas of the economy, and you got a, you got a really big problem. And uh, so the, the idea, like, for at least to shut down the gambling part or not to proceed it, uh, I agree with you that uh, maybe that was a mistake to go down that road. I see the provincial government now, of course, with this new unit they're talking about, but, but they're not putting any timeline on it. Does that mean that we just kind of go along with what we got now until this uh, unit is set up and start becoming effective? In other words, is it going to take six, seven, eight, ten years before we actually do anything about money laundering? I have no idea. Or is it just a way for these people to get through this election season and into the next one and then change the uh, channel? What do you well, think? I think, uh, I think there is some some push now to, to uh, you know, Make some imp- improvements in the system. We'll see how that comes about. Like, um, and this has been going because th- th- this is a big problem. You know, like that's uh, 
pretty notorious for you know to be for Vancouver to be known around the world as a Vancouver model for money laundering, right? And we're uh, dark individuals and corporations and, and and organizations from around the world flock here to launder money. So uh, we do need. Um, I, I do think that there, there are some recommendations there that uh, are, could make improvement. But then there's other other problems arise too because uh, if you give too much problem too much uh, power to the government and all this you know like which can sometimes happen you get the overreach you know and, and then you have uh, personal uh, you know freedoms etc and all this uh, affected right and um, that's so that's not a small issue in regards to uh, uh, government having the power to uh, look into uh personal finances and, and so on. How far do you go uh, in that regard? Yeah. Well, we kind of got this one going around the horn a few times. Uh, it's a big, complex problem, so we're certainly not going to solve it today, but we come to the end of our time. I want to thank everybody for listening today. Thank my guests and uh, my uh, Herb and uh, Peter. And we'll be back next Monday. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Echo Wiley, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.